Welcome to Brian Talks to Humans, a people's podcast about everyday people. In this episode, I have a conversation with my friend and former co-worker, Deb. Deb's built a life for herself uh, that I would not have expected her to have. And I don't mean that in a bad way at all. I just never would have pegged her for the suburban mom life. She's reaching an interesting point, though, in her journey where, while content, is starting to awaken to exploring her own interests. I'm sure it's not an unfamiliar story for some wives and mothers out there. Remember to stay tuned after the interview for information on how to contact me and, of course, how to donate to the cause through Patreon. Okay, here's my interview with Deb. Okay, folks, I'm mobile again. Uh, this time I've left Essex County, New Jersey. Uh, I'm down in Middlesex County. Uh, passed a Wawa billboard on the way down here. Um, today's human is... Debbie. Why don't you tell me about the intro music you chose, uh, Joni Mitchell, Case of You. So, well, I, I know I've gone back and forth with you about listening to other people's music and then trying to figure out what I could choose that I wouldn't sound like a complete nerd and you just was a competition. I my head, everything's competition. <laughs> so, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so I just really tried to think of some music that wasn't most songs that I like, when the songwriters, miserable, depressing, sad, my life is so hard. So I tried not to go you know, that way. Um, I mean, it's Joni Mitchell just for that good choice yeah um i think that in terms beyond yeah it's a very i I guess it's a song about a broken romance and i think even beyond that though kind of that idea of memories and life experiences um you know being equally as as painful as they are poignant i think is is something that i've really been internalizing really kind of thinking about how that has really impacted my life so that's where you know i'm not saying you know this was my old boyfriend and i think about this and it really i think is much it's a much bigger than that so that's that's well thinking about painful and poignant memories is a good tone to set when i'm about to ask you about your life story (laughs) i guess right (laughs) yeah (laughs) what I, i like about that song um i just identify with the uh being an alcoholic and an addict, the idea of drinking a case of somebody and still being on on your feet, you know, mm-hmm. sort of being a, addicted to a person mm-hmm. sometimes too, you know, oh, I sure. think of it that way. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. That. So tell me about Deb before I met her. What's uh, what's Deb like when, when she's younger? All right. So um, I will go back to the womb. <laughs> I think that's a place to start. Okay. I think it really sets a big tone. Um, you know, I'm a twin and when my mom was pregnant, she did not know she was having twins because they only heard one heartbeat and, um, you know, just a baby boy, you know, kind of falling into those stereotypes and my mom's like, there's just too many hands, there's too much going on. Um, but no, 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 only one heartbeat. 
And it turns out that that I was blocking my sister from where I was situated to where she was. I was, and, and people kind of joke about that, you know, my personality compared to hers, that I was blocking <laughs> her and then made my grand entrance. And, you know, and then they, and she quietly made her entrance. So, um, and that has, that defined us, that, that defined, in essence, our, our childhood, our relationship. Um, and what we love about each other, I think what we, we struggle with with each other is, is that me trying to, you know, kind of fill up a room and her having a presence at all. So, and I don't, I'm not trying to say that in a condescending way to her at all. I'm just saying that that's something that you know, I really carried with me in a lot of guilt in a lot of ways. So, no. so yeah. How, and how does she feel about all that, you think? I don't know. I mean, she is, and I, I can be very self-deprecating. Um, and I, because again, I, I don't particularly feel guilty about things. Actually, my, my guilt sometimes, um, gauge is, is not really working so well. Um, unless it's dealing with a couple of people, including her. Um, I feel that my desire to, to separate from her, to do my own thing. Um, you know, again, I have a very strong personality. She is a very gentle, you know, personality where I'm, I tend to be very loud and I can be selfish and I can be demanding. You know, she's extremely selfless to a flaw, to a vulnerability more than a flaw. And, um, you know, she's impatient and she's giving and you know, so we kind of balance each other out to be like a good human. Um, not that I'm not a good human or she's not, but we have very different characteristics, but she has struggles in different sorts of health issues. And my sense of having to care for her, making sure she doesn't fall, making sure, you know, that she makes it through, you know, has, has become one of the, it just has, has become one of the most important things in my life that, that she is able to, to make it through. I don't know if that makes sense. What are some other things about being a, a twin specifically and an identical twin um, that maybe people don't think about or, or don't know about? You know, because not everybody out there yeah. is one. So what are some of the the little twists that, that come with that? It's hard to, you know, because a lot of people say, you didn't ask the question of what's it like to be a twin? You know, that, that I hear a lot and what's it like not to be a twin um, yeah. because I, I don't even know. And it's not really what you asked, but you know, it's, it's, it's immediate competition, which I, um, which we both found very difficult, um, being compared constantly academically. Um, I'd say athletically, but neither of us were particularly athletic. Um, looks wise, you know, growing up as a young woman and, you know, your sister looks like this and you look like that and how can she looks like this and you have that. And, um, it definitely had a profound effect on her in terms of her self image, I would say. And I'm not, I'm not saying that, that it didn't affect my self image either. Uh, but I think it, it hit her harder than it hit me. Hmm. Um, <laughs> Get you something else to fidget with. I know. I am fidgeting. <laughs> I don't smoke anymore, so. Yeah, yeah. 
I know that that deal. Yeah, you don't tell me <laughs> no, it'll be uh, it'll be eleven years. Okay. Yeah, in July. Yeah. Yeah, I'll be fourteen in June. I've had a few cigarettes though over the years, but it's been fourteen years. Too. Yeah, yeah. Shoot. When did you first pick up smoking? <laughs> Junior high. Right. Yeah. Um, it uh, I think it looks really cool when you're about four foot ten. Smoking <laughs> a cigarette out of the wall. Yeah. So, um, so that's when I picked it up. Not really. I started smoking, I think, really smoking in high school, in yeah. 10th grade. It was different. You know, it was different then. So I didn't have a jewel to vape. That's right. Yeah. Big problem. The jewel epidemic. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. What to do. I went to, uh, I went to go to the bathroom in a student bathroom after school the other day and there was a couple jewel pods in the urinals and I'm like, oh, a sign of the times. <laughs> then they can't catch it. Yeah. They can't catch it. What I don't understand, though, about our, our folks is they have open campus, so I don't even know why they bother doing it in the bathroom. So I think it's the thrill of almost getting caught. I yeah. That's what it's got to be. So. Yeah. I remember being at uh, at parties and, you know, give somebody two and a quarter and they could come back with a pack of cigarettes for you. Now it's like, what, like nine, ten dollars? Yeah, I don't even, yeah, I haven't, I just, yeah. if I ever have one, a few I've had over the past few years, it's grabbed from someone, but I think they're, they're up there now, huh? Yeah. It's crazy. I wonder what they are in Manhattan after a night of spending $12 a drink and then you have to. <laughs> I don't even know where you, I guess you just go to a store. Cause I, I just yeah. actually saw a cigarette machine. In, uh, Still? Yeah. At a, at a bar. I almost fell over. It's like a relic. Yeah. It's a blast from the past. Yeah. Totally. Um, so when you were started smoking in junior high, did you get into uh, other stuff that you weren't supposed to get into or friends that you people weren't pleased you were hanging out with and that sort of thing? So, yeah, in high school was, was interesting um, because my sister had you know, a number of issues that really consumed my parents. So it allowed me that opportunity that I'd always wanted to kind of set off on my own. They were too busy to really pay too much attention. I, and I'm not, again, trying to criticize their parenting. It was fine with me. Um, and yeah, I definitely was involved with people and things. I wouldn't be thrilled if my children were. I also always kind of skated close to the thin ice, never kind of going, you know, full in, if you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. So, um, so I would dabble here, dabble there, um, with various things, but never really getting absorbed in things like my friends were. So um, you know, so it was more just pushing boundaries rather than really crossing at that point. Mm -hmm. What did you, um, you, we've talked in the past about a, an ex-partner of yours. Mm -hmm. Um, when did you, um, get involved with them? I met him my senior year of college. Oh, okay. Yeah. I didn't realize it was, it was college, that yeah. late. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I graduated high school. I went off to college. I was miserable. I came home from college. Yeah. I went to county, you know, I did you know, one of those. I bounced around too. I was yeah. in like four different schools mm -hmm. and county college twice. And right. yeah, yeah. But at county college, I, I really liked it. I, I was able to mature as a, as a learner, really kind of focusing, organizing myself, how to study and made a number of friends there that I, out of, out of Rutgers and Middlesex and the college I was at before, I think some of my closest friends were the ones I met at Middlesex, who I still are in touch with, or I still am in touch with. And then I ended up at Rutgers and at Douglas, and I really did 
appreciate and absorb that whole message of kind of women's empowerment. Um, really did focus on women's history during that time. Just was able to offer me different perspectives, not only just in terms of uh, gender or, you know, of, of just being a woman or just in, in terms of different people's experiences. And um, the, the my worldview is not the only view. I think that that out of at Rutgers, that was the one thing, the most important thing that I gained there was that idea that other people have stories and experiences that may contrast with mine, but it's absolutely just as valid. So, you know, so that was, you know, intellectually, that was, I think, really important for me. Um, and then, not intellectually, <laughs> then I, I met my former partner, um, not at school. He wasn't at school. And, yeah, and that consumed a good part of my, almost all of my 20s mm-hmm. and into my 30s. Yeah. yeah. To um, some degree, yeah. The uh, the stuff that you were encountering, as far as like people's worldviews that were, you know, uh, different from yours. Mm-hmm. Um, describe that a little more. What uh, what kind of you know um, way of seeing the world did you sort of enter that milieu with, and and what were, else were you encountering? Well, you know, I I think the most obvious is that I grew up in a upper middle class Jewish suburb. Um, where I was at home and at Hebrew school and temple and families, you know, it was Israel good, Arab states bad and evil, Palestine evil, and just very much, just very much part of my life. And that was, um, you know, just how I, how I saw that, that part of my worldview. And when I was at, Rutgers, I had an, an excellent professor who, and we had to read it for class. I think it was called the, the other anti-Semitism, if I remember correctly, the the article, and just kind of you know putting into simple terms. It wasn't you know an, an overly analytical article um, about what that experience is like, you know, from a Palestinian perspective and you know mistreatment and um, you know issues with with mistreatment um, and inhumanity. And the professor was, you know, someone who I really I liked a lot and I respected. And and she also, I think it's also affected my, my learning a lot. It, it wasn't, well, you have to think this way. Now that you know, you have to think this way um, because they have it worse and this is a bigger struggle. It was, we all come from our own places and we all grow from the places we're at. And, you know, it kind of, without feeling, you know, attacked at what I had always known, it allowed me to really kind of open my eyes and see that what you're raised to know is not, you know, is not nearly a full part of the story. Mm. So, so it was important for me that way. And then, so when you, when you, where did you meet this dude? You said it wasn't at school. Where did you meet Oh, it was at, it was at a bar. (laughs) Right on. (laughs) So, um, at a bar. And, um, I mean, the moment that I met him, and, and I know that he, he was the same. I know this for, there's a specific reason why I do know that. I mean, I knew that, that my world was going to be completely just upended. I, I did not from that point for many, many years think, think rationally about a lot of things. Mm. And um, I just couldn't, couldn't get myself out of it. So. so what, what, what is it about a person that, you know, you were like, oh, 
my world is about to change. What what kind yeah, of vibe I is mean, he giving off? Because I'm, I'm wondering about what vibe I need to give off to change <laughs> people's lives. I, I don't think it's necessarily a good thing. Um, I've never had that, you know, since. Um, it, you know, it's overwhelming to be so consumed with someone. Um, and it's also really can be very dangerous and very unhealthy. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Particularly when they have very dangerous and very health, unhealthy habits and mm-hmm. um you know emotional issues mm-hmm. uh, i mean i'm going to say that that heroin addiction was not the biggest problem in our relationship mm. so right that's yeah. not saying something yeah uh, i did i did an eight-year run from 18 to 26 mm-hmm. with a woman and you know i was not i was an active drunk mm-hmm. then you know uh she had her own you mm-hmm. know issues uh, and I, I like to say that the, the rocks in my f- head fit the holes in hers, you know, and it was just one of those things where like we were talking about before, you just, you just become consumed with a person mm-hmm. and addicted to them. And then mm-hmm. for a while, for me, it was, well, this is familiar and I'm afraid to change it. And, mm-hmm. you know, probably the last four or five years of that was <laughs> toxic and shouldn't have happened, right. but it, right. it did. You yeah. Know? yeah. It's a, it's a hard thing to to explain i mean because i do believe you can be addicted i mean i literally felt like my heart was broken when when something tumultuous would happen and i would quote unquote leave and i would just you know i'd be back within Mm -hmm. 24 hours and i could not physically at that point keep myself alive was there stuff going on maybe where well, I guess sometimes I think when I think about things like that and, and relationships that are that are consuming, I think about, you know, what trajectory was a person on and how did this other person alter that, you know, trajectory? If you hadn't met this person, what mm. what might have those years have, have oh been gosh. like? That's a good question. I've never even thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, I have no idea. I, I just I couldn't even imagine what things would have been like with without that weird detour <laughs> off into some other place. I mean, yeah. it, it's almost impossible to imagine what would have happened without that. I don't have a good answer. Well, I'm, okay. Yeah. So was there like a, maybe you were majoring in something and had a career thought, but yeah. maybe that thought changed because you well, were... I mean, there were definite decisions that I made um, to, for graduate school, not go to Rutgers, go to Montclair because he was finishing up college in, um, in the Bronx, you know, to be closer and, mm-hmm. Um, you know, my first year teaching was down in Miami because he had gotten a job down in Miami. So, you know, certainly mm-hmm. I wouldn't have ended up there. Um, and I wouldn't have ended up, you know, there were some really bad things that happened, but I ended up in you know, urban ed for, for a while because of that. And it was an amazing experience, very difficult experience, particularly my first year teaching. Um, but nothing I would trade for the, for the world. So, um, so I would have just probably gotten a job South Brunswick, um, you know, teaching middle school and yeah, I, I don't, I don't, mm. I, I don't see, I didn't have anything, you know, in, in my, that, that I really put aside, you know, for him. Mm. Um, and, and that's why. And there's a lot that I could be very angry about, could be very bitter about. And at times I was. Um, 
and there's a lot I also, you know, appreciate. I grew up, I, you know, I definitely became hardened. I definitely became, you know, much less trusting. I mean that in a positive way, I guess. Um, and, you know, just much more alert to what the world was really like. Mm. Yeah. yeah. No more Pollyanna. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, really, yeah. It, it changed that. So, and I'm not, again, I'm not saying that is a completely bad thing. No, yeah. I, I mean, you know, I've taken a circuitous route to where I'm at, and there certainly were some potholes yeah. along the way, but I'm not sure I would trade it either, you know, right. for all so, the stuff yes, that I've yeah. learned. Yeah. Exactly. I, I mean, there's definitely certain parts of it that, that were really pretty wild that I would have, I think I could have done better without. But I I am happy with the person I, I've become, and I, I just I just feel stronger for it. Right on. So, so what were those first few years of teaching like otherwise? They were good. I mean, I kids running all over, no classroom management. Um, really enjoyed it. I enjoy, I, and I still do enjoy the company of you know of young people. Um, really became once I came back home to New Jersey. I was working in Linden, and you know became very absorbed in my job. And, you know, very involved with my students and with their, their futures and with their activities. And, you know, it really was, was something that, you know, that I liked a lot. I think that new teachers tend to feel that they know, as I did, I know more than they know those that are here and, you know, I'm going to change the world. And, and then when you become an old teacher, <laughs> 23 years later, then suddenly it's like, those new teachers don't know anything. And I don't know if you know what I'm talking about. Um, you know, I know so much more now about functioning in a classroom um, than I did then. You know, but I just, it was it was where I was meant to be. I, it's, it's one of those things that, you know, I think you have some people that really suck at teaching. I think there are people that are, are naturals in the classroom. And then there's some people that can, you know, that, that you can kind of finesse to be decent. Um, I was meant to be in the classroom, just natural to me. So how do you, I guess, how do you get to that feeling of it, it's natural? Like, was there, what was the first draw towards teaching? In other words, like, why did you become a teacher? I always knew I was going to be a teacher. I, I never, not that I was one of those, like, I want to be a teacher. It, it just, it just seemed just to be the natural route to go. Um, it was what that or law school and that that was not something that was appealing to me at that time. It's actually probably more appealing to me now, but um, you know, certainly I finessed my, my argument, my, my arguments since I was younger, but um, it, it just, I don't know. I just wasn't, that's where I was going to be in the classroom. I, I really don't have any big story to what took yeah. me there. Mm -hmm. um, me too. It, yeah. For me, it was this, it was this gradual realization mm -hmm. more than it was this like, aha moment right, like, right. you know some burning bush that there was a calling for me to go right. into education you know? yeah yeah and it yeah. just it just felt like that's where i should should be doing that's what i should be and really is what it has has come to be and describing that feeling of of you know that you're you're meant to be there and it's just so natural is difficult i find when when people ask about about that sort of thing because it's really making explicit the implicit you know it's almost mm -hmm. like for me describing breathing mm -hmm. or you, right. know, you know being a twin <laughs> you know like well what do you mean like what's it like to be a teacher like i, I couldn't like name some right. of that because it's just so much a part of 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 who i am you know but so 
along the way then how did you how did you find like what, what uh, maybe like your your niche as like uh, progressive minded the teaching the women's studies that sort of thing so again um you know i did teach eight years my first eight years in in urban education um and those were well, those were really issues and classes and that I was interested in anyway, it's where I wanted to be. Um, so it, I was needed to teach black history. So I made a curriculum and taught black history. And, um, you know, I was needed to, to make the Kwanzaa bullboard. So I did, you know what I mean? Like, because, because I would do that and because, you know, I enjoyed that and I enjoyed learning about kind of different cultures and, um, different life experiences. Um, it kind of fell on me. So, you know, when you're that person in the school that, you know, that gets that. So, so, but I enjoyed it. Um, the women's studies, I don't, I don't even know how that started. That was at, at Watch on Hills when I met you. Um, oh, I, I was, I was doing my doctorate and I was, I was working on my doctorate, which was, you know, on a topic that had to do with women, um, women teachers in the progressive era and, and unionizing. So, so I think that's really where I kind of fell into, let me take what I've been doing here and kind of put it into a, a class. And at that point, it was really just a, you know, a survey type course, you know, a survey course, just kind of looking through the lens of the woman's experience. Mm. Um, and, you know, I've said this before, it, it, it's expanded dramatically since then. So that. when you were when you were younger, was uh, your family pretty liberal or? No, um, just center. Um, definitely my father, my father, um, he registered as a Republican to vote against Ronald Reagan. So, so he certainly wasn't, you know, I wasn't, I didn't grow up in a Republican household, um, although I guess I did. Um, but, but it wasn't, those type of issues were not social issues, were not things that we talked about or that we did. Um, you know, just a very kind of seventies, eighties type of watch TV. Yeah. <laughs> you know, get so, HBO. So would you say then then college sort of shaped you in, in that direction? College and then and then being in the classroom. I think yeah. that, you know, that's certainly um college opened my eyes to certain things and then being in the classroom, being around students and um be you know, uh, allowing other people to help me learn, I guess, for lack of a better word, you know, I think is really what, what transformed that. Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. If I had to lay money on where the Deb that I met would be in 2019, I'm not, I'm not sure I would have won, <laughs> you know, um, I, not that I'm surprised, you know, but I, I wouldn't have bet money on, okay, she'd be still teaching high school, kids, suburbs, yeah. you know, that sort of thing. Uh, I don't know why I didn't think that, you know, but so how did how did we go from the Deb that I met at mm-hmm. Machang Hills, you know, to sort of, uh, you know, Where I am now. the mom with a Honda Pilot? Yeah. Nice. Um, it's, at least I got rid of the minivan. So I don't know if I could have had to hear if I said that. Um, yeah, it's funny because that's, I'm really at a place right now where I'm wondering that too. So it's, you know, interesting that you asked that question. 
I, when I knew you, I was some ways in a good place and some ways in, a, in, in not a good place at all. Um, but I was academically in a very good place. And I had some family issues that were just crushing me. And I had still, a, you know, a tumultuous back, back, back and forth relationship with my former partner, you know, who would come and go and be clean and not clean. And, and it was just too much. Um, it was too much. And I found somebody, I literally found an Eagle Scout. Why? You know, it's an Eagle Scout, right? And, um, and it was somebody that was very kind and somebody that was offered me security that I really never had. Um, and I just decided that I needed a break and I needed, I needed just to have some calm in my life. Mm. And I got married, which I didn't think I was going to do, but, but I did. Um, to someone who's very different than me. Um, you know, people thought I married you, right? Did you know that? I think that? I remember you saying yeah. that, yeah. A couple of people did. Uh, because we were so much more like-minded than, you know, than Brian and I. Well, it doesn't yeah. hurt that we're both Brian right. F. You know? Right, right. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Yeah. Yeah. So, so it was, you know, I, I don't think people, if people would say, because remember, nobody really knew what, that we were even dating. Yeah. Um, and I think if people just heard Brian, it just would make sense since we were just we're very good friends. We were, um, you know, more like-minded than it seems than perhaps Brian and I. Um, but yeah, so I he, he um, had had done some very kind, you know, supportive things for my parents. Um, he was very supportive to my sister in her time of great trouble. And, um, I was very lonely and, and it offered me, like I said, stability and got married and eight months later, <laughs> nine months later, um, and I was a mom. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so, so very quickly, my life just changed yeah. overnight. And they're they're two years apart, the kids. They are, yeah, two years and two months. I also have a stepson. And then, yeah, I was gonna say, and then, mm -hmm. yeah. So, um, how did being a mom change your life? Well, I believe. Wait, hold I... on a second. Hold on. You're the first. I think you're the first. Yeah, you're the first parent I've I've had. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, oh, so what's boy, having kids like? Parents, <laughs> it sucks. Run. No, I'm kidding. Um, so it obviously changes you. The first thing that I realized very quickly, and I like to have control of situations. I, I, there, like I said, I may have dabbled in things when I was younger, but I don't like that feeling of not being in control. So, so it was probably the reason why I never really became, you know, as absorbed in the world that was drug use that was around me um, as I potentially could have. Um, I don't like that feeling of, you know, not knowing exactly what I'm doing or saying. And, and once you become a parent, like, that's gone. Right. You just have no control. Um, you know, I really thought that I would be kind of, this is what my child would be like. This is the path I'm going to set for them. And that's how it, how it would go. 
It doesn't work that way. Mm. It doesn't work that way. They are, you know, fiercely independent from a very, very young age. So that was a big wake-up call. I was completely overwhelmed um, when I first had kids. Um, I would just basically just camp out at my mom's house. I don't know what to do with them. You know, but particularly when I had two. Um, my, my older one was very, very hard and um, just miserable. And then, you know, I said, okay, so let me have another one. And uh, he was a little lamb, though. He was easy. And, you know, the older they get, the easier that kind of, you know, overwhelm of just taking care of little, little people that are going to, like, fall into the street. You know what I mean? Like, that, that was, um, I'm glad those years are gone. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, there are certain things as a parent, you look for symptoms of autism. You make sure that they don't, um, you know, have this type of sickness and, and things come up that you just don't expect. And um, it just wasn't on the, the kind of the plan that you see for everyone. And it was hard. I think it's hard when when there are things that kind of throw you for a loop. And, um, you know, I, when I had Ben, before I had Ben, you know, I was very much, I did not want, I knew I was having a boy. I did not want clothes. I didn't want um, you know, trucks and very kind of, you know, gender neutral, um, that I would allow my child to you know, be you know, who he was, um, until he wanted to be who he was. And when he really, when it became, when he was about three, three and a half, and it became, you know, very clear that you know, his, his gender was pretty fluid, um, absolutely panicked, which is, it's it just so ironic because I, have extremely tolerant, would never have seen myself as someone that would ever struggle with that. Um, but once you, you have a child, and you just love that little, I don't know if I can curse or not, but you just, oh, yeah. love them. You just love those little fuckers so much. And, um, and then you see a vulnerability in them that, that you know that that cruel world can go after. It's, it's scary. That, that was my issue. Um, you know, so suddenly all of a sudden I'm like, oh, here's your truck. <laughs> Why don't you play with that? Uh, we didn't go for that. But, um, you know, so, so that really was very difficult with my, my first son. And I, I realized very quickly that I was having a really negative effect on him. And he didn't know how to be himself around me because of how upset I would get. And again, not because of who he was, but because of how the world around him would perceive him to be. Absolutely. And it's frightening. Um, but, but that's my problem. That's not his problem. That wasn't his problem. He was fine. So I did what I had to do. Go counseling, take a vacation, do whatever I had to do to be an appropriate mother for my child. And which which I became. So, you know, and now he is a, he's a fashion guru at this point. Nice. He is. He has quite an eye for fashion. I am a disappointment as a mother, though. I like because of your fashion? Yes, because too much of my clothes are black. I have a pair of Birkenstocks. Like, a second pair, he's, since he was in preschool, just loathed that I had Birkenstocks. <laughs> just hideously ugly. That's all I yeah. wear in the summer. Oh, is my... gosh, Arch supports like no other, but you know he's uh he's he's funny, and uh, I mean there'd be times where I would 
go in, you know, give him a, a kiss goodbye in the morning, and he'd be like, open one eye, he'd be like, are you wearing that to work? It looks like your pajamas. <laughs> Just... So it's funny because he, I was always very protective of, of Ben because of what I perceive to be vulnerabilities. But he is a barracuda. Like, you are not messing with him. He is a really, really tough kid. Um, I mean, he is he is verbally so and, – and I'm like that as well. I can really, you know, go for the jugular. I mean, but he blows me away. I, I, there are times when he was seven, eight years old, and I'm not—I'm kind of saying this is a good thing, kind of saying it is like a little scared, but um, where he would just know exactly what to say to to kind of win whatever argument it was. Like, how can I put this person? And then, and you just your jaw would drop. But in in for him, and for I think some of the challenges he had and will continue to have in some ways, um, I think it's great. You know that he is a really, really strong kid. Mm. And my little one, who is, you know, very much the kind of the traditional normal boy and, you know, with all the boy toys and all the sports. And um, he's the one who turns out actually extremely vulnerable. Mm. So, you know, and as much as I, I don't want to fall into the, you know, the norms that society puts on us, I'm, I do. So, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, so yeah. I do. and. And parenting, going back to that question that you asked, I mean, forces you to see that that things are not the way that that it may you know that it may seem at the get go. I think that's probably one of the ten thousand seven hundred thirty one reasons why I don't want to have kids is because I I also have this idea of like I don't know if it, if it's if it's control, but I guess it is this I you know because I always kind of suffer from why can't people just do what I want them to do because the world would be so much easier if they did. Right. And you know, when my dogs don't, that's one thing, but like, you know, I don't know that I could take it. Right. I don't know that I could take a three year old doing that or, or, and then, and then a teenager doing, doing that, you know, um, too many, too many variables, you know, just give me dogs. I've, I've never, loved any creature like I love my children that does not sound very motherly but it's true um I mean I just I I love them more than anything um and as kind of saying you know I really am at a point now where they're my youngest is 11 and they are growing up and yes they still need me now and yes they are very dependent on me for you know many of their needs um and and their emotional needs as well but those days are those days are numbered and, um, and I know it is, and I can, you know, I have spent the last 13 years or so consumed with that. And I don't know what I'm going to do after get a dog, I guess that, that was the advice I got, but that's, you know, that's where I'm really struggling is, you know, I, I, they're not going to do me. That's good. That's what's supposed to be. I guess so. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, that's what I want, but. I'm not sure how to manage it. Yeah, you know, when they're 28 and still asking me to do <laughs> laundry. In my yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. So, so then what's that like? Uh, um, you know, what's where's Deb at now? Yeah, that's that's interesting. I don't know where I'm at now. I am struggling with with getting older. Um, being a middle-aged woman is very forgettable 
and I don't really take kindly to being forgettable. So, um, so that's, that's been hard. I feel like I've in the past, I guess year or so, there was an incident last summer that kind of changed a couple of things. And, um, I feel like I've, I've woken back up. Like, like you had said, you wouldn't have expected this for me. And I've kind of come to a place where, not that I'm not content with where I'm at, but I don't know. I'm less satisfied with it, I guess, hmm. in all honesty. Yeah. So. Do you think you'll you'll um, make a, a big move, like going back to school or uh, no. career change or anything like no. that? Or? I don't know. Um, yeah, I'm trying to kind of work through that. Um, I don't see at this point with, with how everything has changed. I don't see a, I'm 23 years in, frankly, yeah. I'm going to be, I, I can be out in six and a half years. Yeah. So, you know, so that, and I, and I still actually, I still do gain so much in, in the classroom. I, I, I don't really want to leave it at this point either. Um, school, maybe. I don't know if I have so much patience to kind of sit in a class. Um, and yeah. I, I just, and I know I have to, in order to get back to my dissertation, I know there's, there's just, I have to do that again. I don't want to. Um, writing maybe, um, though without the academic credentials, who wants to read what I have to say? <laughs> Nobody. Even with the academic credentials, I'm not sure who would. And yeah, I'm stuck. So tattoos yeah. for now. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've, I've had tattoos, right. but yeah, that, that's my, my, um, midlife that, that says in Welsh, that's what I always say. I'm having a midlife crisis. It's, it's a, a Welsh word. Oh, so, yeah. okay. And it, it actually means it's similar to actually the Johnny Mitchell song. Um, it's kind of the, um, the longing for the kind of bittersweetness of, you know, past, not even it, people, places, um, events, um, it, 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 he writes, I'm not going to try to say it in Welsh because I think it sounds silly when people try to put on an accent, say a word, mm -hmm. um, but the R is actually, you roll the R and it's kind of like a bittersweet. Um, it's not, someone's like, Oh, wistfulness. It's not really, I'm not a wistful person, but it's just, it's a, a feeling I've lived with. I would say most of my adult life that I never could kind of put a finger on what it was. And like, I truly, months ago when, when I just started, like, where am I? Where am I going? You know, I was like, hey, what is the word? What is the feeling? And then I came across this word and I'm like, mm. that, that defines how I felt for so long. Um, and it's, it's not, it's not, it's both sad and happy if we're going to just do it kind of in those simple terms. Sure. Um, and it basically should just say again, I'm having me like prices. So I was like, isn't that kind of just like saying that? So I don't know. I like it. I think it looks good. Yeah. And I want more again. And, um, yeah. Uh, let me ask you a sort of political question, I guess. How's feminism different or changed? It's changed a lot. Since you, you know, were coming up in college mm -hmm. and stuff. Oh, dramatically. Um, to, to the point that I really, you know, have to keep up with the changes of the younger generations. I'm now of that older perspective that really did come from that, again, that white upper middle class, um, academic type perspective. Um, not that there wasn't, you know, other influences at that time, but, you know, you know, have intersectional feminism. 
and mm-hmm. um, you know the the movement's changing and it's struggling. I think because of that. I, I'm not saying because because of the inclusion of other experiences, but I don't think people know where to put themselves in it and or how to really function in, in something that's so hard to define. Feminism mm. is very hard to define. Sure. So um, it, it's a, a lot of people, you, would, you cannot just put it as, you know, equality between the sexes. There's so many other factors that play into it, race, ethnicity, sexuality, gender, um, religion, economic status. There's on and on that you, you can't just look at something just as, as, as it says, okay, so I am a woman, so I have a shared experience with that woman. It's, it's just not like that. Mm. Um, but on the other hand, I think that, and I think that it became evident at the March on Washington back um, 2016, I guess it was now, right? Yeah, I guess that'll be three years. 2017, when he got inaugurated, yeah. Yeah, early 2017 yeah, then. January, okay. yeah. Okay, so... Um, I was thinking it was after the election, but it was after the inauguration. So I think that kind of the idea of, you know, all right, now sit back and shut your mouth. It's my turn to speak. I don't know how much growth is coming from that either. So um, I don't know what the answer is, Mm. but I, I don't know why people are just seem so resistant on including other people's voices and experiences um, and they're going to be different and they're, they're going to be more profound in some ways. And it, it doesn't lessen one's experience because, uh, you know, someone else is more challenging. Mm-hmm. It just, um, and I, I think that, you know, feminism back to that, you know, has in some ways struggled in its, in its growth, I guess. It's growing. And that's a good thing. Yeah, it's, sure. It's growing pains, I guess, yeah. is what you would say. Yeah. No, yeah. I mean, when I see, you know, I have 16-year-old students, you know, talking about intersectional feminism. And I was talking about, like, where do I get high, you know, <laughs> when I was right, 16. Right, right. Yeah. You know, I have hope for, mm-hmm. you know, I almost like I have hope for the future, but I have hope for the future, you know. Uh, but it's a question of, okay, well, then how does how do you make that work? What does that really look like in practice? Maybe that's harder to figure out. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think too many times with, you know, stuff that I've seen in, in academia and, and activism and all sorts of things. It's like, everybody wants to replace what came before Mm -hmm. it instead of like a both end kind of thing. Right. You know? And I think sometimes, sometimes it's good to replace things that need replacing. I think sometimes we think, you know, things need to be replaced that we maybe we just add on to or tweak or right. you don't have to you throw know. away the baby with bathwater. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, no, no, I agree with you. I mean, I think that could also go for education too. You know, that mm-hmm. well, we're teaching all wrong and this all needs to be abandoned and we need to go to this. There's no one best way, uh, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. quote David Tyak, but, um, and there's not, and there are things that are certainly worth holding on to. Um, and again, just expanding, um, and just improving upon rather than, you know, like you said, just away. Right. So, right. Mm-hmm. And that doesn't mean that you have to put up with hostility no. from the people who have come before you if they're being right. resisted to change, but it just means that, yeah. But I also think though that, um, and I find this works for me in the classroom, obviously we have very different, now you have a kind of a, a different 
program than you're in, I'm, you know, more in just a comprehensive high school. Sure. Um, so I get a lot of different opinions in, in my classroom and, you know, I have people that'll come in, oh, she's the, you know, she teaches about the, the girls and, oh, she's, you know, liberal and she's this and that, you know, ready to go at it and ready to battle and I don't do it. So, um, I don't think anybody grows from that. I don't think anything is learned from it. I share my opinion. I have, you know, I'm very comfortable sharing my opinion, but not in an attack and, you know, not in a way that offends more just in a way that I would just kind of think, mm-hmm. you know, just kind of think about things yeah. and question things. And, um, and I think about things too. It's, it's not just one way. It's not like I have some profound question that they all leave, you know, <laughs> just sure. a better person every day. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Making the magic happen. Exactly, Changing the world you know, one mind at a that's time. Right. Yeah. You know, I will say, though, I probably landing in the program that I've landed in has has probably extended my career. Because, like, today, I kind of had to fly through Reagan. You know, did him in, like, 44 minutes. Presidential project. And it was all, and, like, I didn't even have to make any sort of nod to, like, the whole... Well, you know, the people who support him think this, and maybe he was a good president. It was just like, all right, 40 minutes on why Reagan was the fucking worst, and can we just move on? You know? <laughs> now you got it before the AP exam, yeah, now, yeah, so right, you're right. good, you know? And, and you know, uh, whether that limits my growth or whatever, I think sometimes, you know, we are, we are in the places we're supposed to be in. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I never thought I would end up teaching in one of the wealthiest districts in the country. You know, from going from, you know, inner city Miami, and I mean inner city Miami, um, you know, to that, it's, it's interesting. Kids are kids. Sure. You know, kids are kids, but, and, and kids everywhere need need to be taught a, a certain way, in my opinion, and need to be taught, mm-hmm. you know, to see a bigger world around them as I was when, you know, when I was in, in college. So, you know, so I think I have, I, I think it's an important place for me to be at. But, yeah. No, yeah. Somebody... Somebody like you needs to be right. in a place like that, right. you know. Yeah. So, which is kind of kind of the way that I saw, you know, my role at, at the place where we work together, mm-hmm. right? Um, and I just, you know, for whatever reason, several reasons, just mm-hmm. wore thin on me and yeah. you know, landed where I'm at, you know. But it's um, yeah. part of the whole journey, isn't it? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, let me ask you uh, if you could leave folks with recently or it doesn't maybe have to be so recently a book or a movie or a a series that you've been watching or something like that where that you you could say like you know this is you know not just a brain twinkie to escape but like here's you know here's a a good recommendation you know um sex education have you seen that one no okay that's that's only oh, had his first season on, uh, I think it's Netflix, and it is it's a British show, comedy, uh, high school, um, and I, I'm not going to go into the whole premise, but basically these these two kids end up kind of running like a, a sex clinic type of thing out of their out of their high school, and it is hysterical. It is raunchy as hell. It is so smart. And it is so thoughtful and, and poignant. And that's a tough balance, you know, to get all of those things mm. um, and to get it really right. Um, that's one I would, I would strongly recommend. Um, I wouldn't, if it's someone younger who's listening, 
I certainly wouldn't watch it with my parents. <laughs> and if it's somebody older, I would not watch it with my kids. But <laughs> I think everybody should watch it, could watch it, and really enjoy it, as long as you just know those things. So when I was uh, listening to your outro song, mm-hmm. I kind of saw a bit of a connection to the intro song. Mm-hmm. Maybe it's just a, just a, the addict in me is just always thinking uh, about that sort of thing. But tell me about your your outro music moderation. So, um, well, I like it. <laughs> Again, I like the song. And I, um, I think that's more what I ex- externally kind of show. Um, that's, you know, really what I've become. I think that the Joni Mitchell is, you know, very much kind of an, an internal, an internal emotions that I've, that I've lived with for a very long time. And I think this is kind of ex- external, kind of, um, you know, go big or go home kind of feeling. Um, and again, both are songs about romance and I, I don't even mean it in that way. Um, I just, I, I see things as, as a lot of things, not everything is, you know, very clearly wrong or right. Um, I, you know, if I believe in something and I support something, like I'm going all out hmm. and, um, I, I don't do moderation and that's, you know, I know it's kind of overly simplistic, but it's just, I no, don't. Yeah. So I, I identify. Um, yeah. And, um, I like it about myself. It, it, it doesn't always go well for me, but it's just who I am. Right. So. Okay. All or nothing. Mm-hmm. All or nothing. <laughs> well, uh, this has been a lot of fun. Uh, I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to have a conversation. Thank you. Always, always, always has to So that's my conversation with my friend Deb. I hope you saw what I meant by what I said in the intro. You know, that she's got a good life and is happy with her choices, but is now taking stock of uh, who she is and where she's at at this phase of her life. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens. And if uh, this podcast is around long enough or I uh, come back around to folks for uh, check-ins with second interviews, you'll get to hear how it goes too. Go to BrianTalksToHumans.net for my contact info and social media and for a link to Patreon where you can donate to the cause, help offset the costs of the equipment that I use and the hosting fees. Okay, folks, stay human. Because the streets are alive with the sound of Bye. Can I hear it once again? Bye. Tell your neighbor, tell a friend, every box got a right to be booming. Because the streets are alive with the sound of Bye. Can I hear it once again? Tell your neighbor, tell a friend, every flower got a right to be blooming. Cause all the freaky people make the beauty of the world. All the freaky people make the beauty of the world. Cause all the freaky people make the beauty of the world.